Hello, this is episode 11 of season four. Now in this episode, I'll be talking with Dwayne Pierce of D Pierce Constructions. And we're talking about what a builder is and why you need them. And in fact, in most cases, they're essential to any building or renovation project. Well, it's probably pretty obvious, isn't it? But this episode is all about helping you get it right when choosing and working with your builder. Welcome to Get It Right with the Undercover Architect. This is the podcast all about designing, building or renovating your home. I'm your host, Amelia Lee. Think of me as your secret ally. I am on a mission to help you create a home that makes your life better, whoever you're working with and whatever your dreams, your location or your budget. Together we'll uncover the nitty gritty of how to get it right and how to create a home that works, feels great and that you feel great in. So join me now. Our Get It Right podcast partner for season four is Colourbond Steel and their mat range. So Colourbond Steel mat is a great choice for creating a stunning, sophisticated and subtle look for your home in a material that is tested to withstand Australia's harsh conditions and be durable, long-lasting and strong for your home. As you may know, Colourbond Steel has been around for over 50 years now, so quintessentially Australian, it's been used in all kinds of projects in locations all across Australia with its tried and tested performance and its enduring style. The Colourbond Steel Matte Range takes this to the next level. With five colours to choose from, the Matte Range was tested for 10 years before it was brought to market. Sophisticated and understated, it has this gorgeous luxe feel in a material that's seriously strong and durable. There are so many ways that you can use it in the walls and roof of your home, whether you're renovating or building, to create the design style that you're seeking. With a beautiful and neutral look, it has an elegance that I know that you'll love and it diffuses light for a soft, natural, textured finish. And not only does Colourbond Steel Matte look gorgeous, being steel, it's also 100% recyclable, it's high-tech, it's tested and designed for the Australian climate, it's a choice for bushfire zones, it's able to give your home a contemporary and sophisticated feel and it has 50 years of history behind it as a brand. It's just amazing. So head to www.colorbond.com forward slash undercover architect. And that's C-O-L-O-R-B-O-N-D.com forward slash undercover architect. There you can learn more about this great mat range. You can request samples, which I really encourage you to do. And you can get inspired for how you could use it in your reno or new home. And stay tuned across the season as I'll be sharing more ideas and info to help you see how it could work for your project. Now let's get on with the episode. Now in this episode, we'll be diving into the role of builder on your project. So Dwayne Pierce is a Brisbane-based licensed builder and he has over 20 years of experience. Now Dwayne is someone like me who is passionate about helping educate homeowners about how to get the best outcomes from their building or their renovation project. So Dwayne and I actually first connected on social media and I've followed Dwayne for a while now. He creates these great short videos that he shares on his Facebook page and I'll pop a link in the show notes for you so that you can find them yourself. But they show things uh, to be aware of and mistakes to avoid in your project and they're usually shot on site as he uncovers previous work that hasn't been done well and explains to the viewer what to be aware of and how to avoid avoid it happening for your project. But this is the first time that Dwayne and I have actually met in person. So it's great to be having him join me in this episode. 
Now, Duane is half the force behind DPS Constructions, which is an award-winning construction company based in Scarborough in Queensland. And that's on the outskirts of Brisbane for those who don't know where Scarborough is. And he and his wife, Camille, run the business. So they specialise in quality, high-end residential renovations and new builds. And they've worked with many of Queensland's best architects and trades. Now, their mission is to be acknowledged as an industry leader by building well-designed functional homes. And this is where I really connect with Dwayne because he gets the power of design in creating a great lifestyle and a great built outcome for a homeowner in their finished home. I've often said that you can build a new home or a renovation and it can be to the highest quality, the highest level of finish, have been done in the most amazing relationship with the builder. But if the design isn't working, it won't, it won't, ultimately matter, okay, because great design and great build are what go hand in hand to create a great home. Now, Duane has completed over 70 residential projects, varying from small renovations to large architectural homes. The company's also received many awards, and Duane himself was actually recognised as the Queensland Master Builders Rising Star in uh, their awards in 2010. So, Duane believes that building should be an enjoyable process. And I think we've been hearing this pretty consistently throughout this season of the podcast. This should be something that as a homeowner, you enjoy. Duane is passionate about creating positive experiences for builders and for clients. So in addition to building quality homes, Duane also facilitates free consumer seminars that are called Build Your Knowledge. Now, these seminars help homeowners understand the building process and ask questions from someone who does it every day. He also runs networking and information events for builders called Builders Unite. And these events are all focused on helping builders connect with each other and to improve their processes via networking and exchanging feedback. So perhaps you can see now why I thought he was the perfect builder to get on this last episode of season four, which is all about knowing your team. It's great to sit down with Dwayne and talk about the role of the builder. I hear so often from homeowners, their nerves and their fears around choosing the right builder for them. And so it's super critical that you know what to look for, how to choose and how to be sure that you're finding the best fit for you and your project. Dwayne helps us from his perspective, understand how to do this well. This is about the who, the what, the when and the why of using a builder for your renovation or building project. So let's get on into the episode. Welcome, Dwayne. I'm actually really excited to have you here. I explained in the introduction that this is the first time you and I have met in person, but as is the way with online, you know, the online world, we have connected on social media. I, I told uh, the homeowner, the listener at home that I was that you have a fantastic Facebook page where you share videos from on site. Um, and I think I caught one in particular where you were showing what had happened because a previous project, they'd buried the termite inspection barrier with the concrete slab of outside yep. and you yep. were now having to come back and rectify all of this work. So I think it's fantastic what you're doing and I really encourage everybody to check out your Facebook page. So, and there'll be a link in the show notes for everybody to, to connect with that. So perhaps you can give me a bit of, I've given some background about you and your experience in your business, but just in your words, who's Dwayne Pierce and D Pierce Constructions? Um, look, we're a small business. I'm, I'm very, very passionate about the industry and that's um, why we started doing the I think video is really good. It gives you a very personal connection with whoever's viewing it. But we're not about 
hiding anything. Like we're trying to get things out there that most builders would try and steer away from. Um, we want to get it all out there so that people that are thinking of building or renovating can see what actually can happen and and maybe try and give the get the industry a better name. I think. Fantastic. No, that sounds great. And I think it's that that generosity and transparency of information that ultimately really helps the industry overall because I know that there would be other builders as well who would feel similar but perhaps would feel that they, you know, they don't really know the avenues to share that information or anything like that. So I think it's, yeah, that's, I think at the end of the day, educating the homeowner about what to look like is going to help the industry overall do a better job for the homeowner um, oh, eventually definitely. too. So. Now, can you tell me, I know it's kind of obvious, but in terms of what a builder actually does, because I think that there's lots of different thoughts. You know, you think I need to build a new home, I need to build a renovation, I'll get a builder, you know, and and just in terms of, you know, what you should expect from working with one and and what that process actually looks like for homeowners. I think a builder, apart from doing the obvious one, of actually building the house, I think the builder's the main piece of the puzzle. I think we sort of help tie everything together and we, we wear a lot of hats. I think to be a good builder, um, you have to be obviously a salesperson, a consultant. Like You have to have a good understanding of accounts, um, obviously to manage a profitable business mm. and one that's going to last. A lot of people don't understand that most builders become the bank. Um, we have to obviously outlay a lot of um, money to get the jobs to certain stages so that we can actually make a draw and get paid. Um, so nine times out of ten we're always behind until we get to maybe the second or third last draw. I think a good builder needs to have a really good understanding of design and engineering, um, not just to help with the process, but there's, it doesn't matter the size of the job, there's always some sort of little problem that comes up. And uh, if a good builder's got an understanding of the design and the engineering, then nine to better ten, he can overcome those problems without having to get consultants involved and hopefully save the client money. Um, and then obviously we coordinate, organise, help run the job, keep track of cost. Um, we're very, very big on not only ourselves understanding the cost, but educating our clients and making sure we keep them updated if they're changing their um, provisional sums, prime costs, asking for variations, like we're con- continually keeping them updated with cost. And then we've got to have good, really good communication. Like a, a good builder should be, you should feel comfortable and be able to ask him, ask him questions and talk to him about anything really, like the process. Um, and we always tell our clients, no question's a silly question. That's a fantastic, I say that often too. It's, um, and I think, uh, I know particularly for women, they can often be very fearful of looking foolish by asking a question they feel that they should know the answer to. And it's often a case of explaining, well, here's the builder or the designer or the professional who does this every day of the week. And here you are as the homeowner who chances are is doing this for the first time. And so it is, no, there's no such thing as a silly question and chances are it's been asked before and, you know, yeah. or there's not, you know, it's it's alerted. I know that sometimes it alerts me to the fact that I might have skipped a step in explaining something to them, you know, or taken them too quickly through something. So it's always really useful to have those conversations and ask those questions, isn't it? Yeah, look, I, I definitely think so. Not just myself, but my supervisor as well. Like we're, so... When I say education, like I, I think education is everywhere. Like you need your whole team, supervisors, office staff. Like everybody has to be on the same page, and uh, that no question is a silly question. Like my supervisors are aware of that as well. Like, and you can't just assume that someone knows something. And like we get it all the time. Client, a client will start laughing and be a bit embarrassed about asking a question. But, and sometimes they are just 
a silly question, but other times it's it's something genuine that you might spend half an hour explaining the process or why you're doing something a certain way, and at the end of the conversation they're wrapped. So. Yeah, and I think too, isn't it? There's, we I think inside the industry we forget how much terminology we use in our language, of talking about what we do. Yeah. That that you realise that on the outside that just must sound like Italian to somebody else, you know. <laughs> yeah, so, definitely. Yeah, so I I really encourage homeowners to any time they've not understood a word, not understood a specific kind of description of something that they just say, hang on, can you just explain that to me a little bit more simply? So, and I often tell people that if you get any level of patronisation or awkwardness at that point, it's a really good early red flag that they're potentially not the right person to be working with in the process. So no, that's, that's fantastic. All right. So in terms of actually finding a builder, I know that this is one of the big areas of concern that a lot of homeowners that I speak to have. It's the, this, so many of the disaster stories around building and renovating comes back to we picked the wrong builder. We had problems with the builder, you know, all of these issues that are, you know, it does happen with other professionals in the industry, of course. Um, but there's a big fear about how you're going to find the right builder for you and your project. What tips do you have for people? What warning signs should they look like? What checks should they do about, you know, you touched on communication. What kinds of things should should you recommend people look for and how they go about finding the right builder for them and their project? I think the old-fashioned one's always the best one is referral. But for me, it's, it's got you've got to be comfortable. And not just the homeowner, the, the builder as well. Because like, at the end of the day, I don't think a lot of people understand just how much time, even in a small project, they're going to be spending together. Um, like yeah, most it, is, proje- it is a long time, isn't it? And yeah, a lot and, of time, yeah. Yeah, well, most projects you're spending more time with your client than you do with your family. So <laughs> um, like it's, it, you've got to obviously have a lot of honesty and trust and you've, clear communications, obviously a big one. But yeah, that for me, that's the biggest one. If, if you get good referrals, um, talk to previous clients, friends and family who were built before, then like they'll obviously lead you in the right direction. But like I, I think not only should you be asking, like if you do ask someone and they've had a bad experience, I think you should also be asking, well, why was it bad? Like was what were things that you think the builder could have done to make your experience better? So that's probably the the biggest one. And then just the obvious things, checking that they're licensed, um, their building history, how long they've been in business. Like I think a lot of builders out there don't understand how, actually how to run a business. They they can definitely build a brilliant pr- um, product, um, but when it actually comes to the running of the business, a lot of builders are always chasing their tail and not making much money. So um, I think it's it's always a good sign to, to get, and some people might think it's rude, but I think you need to get a good feel for how financial your builder is. Yeah, that's actually really good advice because what you said earlier about the builder often being the bank for the project as well. You know, when you do do a building contract, you're obviously paying at certain points to a certain percentage level along the process, aren't you, as certain packages of work are complete. But the builder has already had to finance the supply of the materials, the supply of the labour and all of those things happening on site to yeah. then put the invoice forward to get the bank to approve it, to then get that checked, that that work's been completed, to then get that paid. And so yep. it is that case of being the builder having to finance that and a lot of individual residential builders will actually have their own home on the line in terms of being the thing that's the security for all of that process or they'll have had to have been in business for a long time and just have a cash flow that enables them to do that so um, yeah yeah that's definitely a big one and you you don't want to 
like you don't want to be dealing with a builder that is chasing his cash flow all the time and and like wanting to try and get draws on your project before he's actually at that stage. So I think that's a big one that people like. It's one that I think gets overlooked and uh, probably is the one that leads to a lot of the problems. So. Yeah, I I recently had an uh, an experience with someone that I know, and I was telling you off air where their builder's gone into liquidation before they've completed, and it was actually you know in the lead up to that process they were getting tradespeople turning up saying he's not paid us we're going to go back and take out what the work that we've done and the architect was saying that's not you can't do that legally so they were actually paying the tradespeople directly and deducting it from the builder's contract and it it gets so hairy so quickly that uh it's um i encourage people to to do their checks and does the builder actually behave like somebody who's going to be in business in 10 years' time um, yeah. and has some level of astuteness about that financial management? So how, how do you actually recommend people kind of check that out? You know, what kind of questions, I suppose, because it can feel a bit awkward. You kind of feel like you're asking somebody how much money do you owe on your house kind of thing, you know. So <laughs> how, how do you, you know, how do you recommend people kind of hunt that information down, I suppose, and get a level of security around it? Um, look, I, I always recommend, and I'm happy. Like we uh, we send them out all the time, but I, I think people should actually, besides the referrals from clients, I actually think people should ask. And uh, in our build your knowledge sessions that we do, we tell people talk to their trades. And if a builder's built a really good business and got really good reputation, like nine times out of ten, he will use the same trades and suppliers for for years. Like some of our um, subbies we've had for eight or nine years in our business. If a builder's obviously not paying his bills and chopping and changing trades every single job. Um, obviously, that's a really bad sign. So, like, I always in, encourage people to get a list of even a dozen, like half half a dozen to a dozen of uh, trades and suppliers of the builder they're thinking of using. And, like, nine times out of ten, they'll give you an honest answer of... Uh, and from that, you should be able to judge pretty well if he's paying his bills or if he's financial. That's a great advice. And I think too, it's even just the test of seeing how a builder reacts to being asked that question can be a really good gauge too, can't it? Because yeah. a builder who has nothing to hide will be transparent, yep. you know, and will be quite happy to share that information or will have a valid reason as to why, you yeah. know, it's something that they they don't share. But if you get dodged, you know, those questions dodged, you get odd kind of responses. It's a pretty good early red flag, isn't it, for yeah, you to, yeah, to, to work out whether this is the right builder for you. So, yep. no, that's fantastic. Okay, Dwayne. So, I'm going to ask you about how builders actually structure their costs because I think that a lot of homeowners will think that builders are rolling in it. I know that I know that in Sydney at the moment, the cost of building just keeps moving up and up and up. And there's this element of, I suppose, this urban conversation that happens around homeowners who are thinking about bidding or renovating that, oh gosh, that builder must just be charging a huge margin. I can't know what they're charging. I can't see it in my quote. How do I know that the difference between an $800,000 quote for a project and a $650,000 quote is not just the builder's margin? Like, So that whole thing of, okay, you, you've spoken to a builder, you're getting a quote for the, your project and you're getting all of these, you know, either a single kind of cost or a line, you know, so even whether what you should expect to sort of see in that quote and then comparing apples with apples, how you sort of even just determine what what to compare in how that process works. If you can just talk to us a bit about that. I know it's a big kind of topic, but yeah, if you can just talk to us a bit about what people should look for and how they should sort of read that information overall. 
Yeah, look, look quoting is definitely a hard one. We don't get involved in tendering anymore because it's just it's um, it's an open ended book. So look, what do you do instead? Uh, we actually do preliminary agreements with our clients, and we and we charge a fee to do a quote. Um, okay. It's only a small fee. It doesn't even cover the time we put into it. But for some reason, building always um, like doesn't get treated like other businesses. Like people don't see they they just see the builder on site and the trades on site. They don't actually see behind the scenes. Um, and so all think, that business operation that it takes to kind of secure the work and run all of the administrative side is that what you mean yeah yeah so like trying to get apples for apples is is near impossible um, and obviously it depends on the style and the type of building you're going to do whether you're just going to a home display village and you're going to get a project type builder to build your home or if you're getting a custom design or an architectural home renovation so like the prices are going to vary dramatically if you're getting if, if you're doing a, a new home and you're getting a builder that is still on the tools with maybe a tradesman, a couple of apprentices, and just does his paperwork of a night with his wife. Obviously, his running costs are going to be very low. Um, but like an average uh, building, like family bu- building business these days, even just going off QBCC and like the New South Wales Home Warranty Insurance, actually takes twelve and a half percent just to run the business. So. That's running, like most businesses will have an office, they'll have an admin person, an accounts person, they, they might have supervisors, so the supervisor got work vehicles. So, so that 12.5% is of the construction cost of every job or their overall revenue? or like Yeah, what normally, is that? Um, well, as a guide, most build, uh, businesses would work it out off their turnover. Yep. So, like, it's pretty, it, obviously, if your turnover changes, that, that percentage is going to change. Yep. But people tend to forget like we're no different to your supermarket shop down the road. Like we, we actually have costs to run before yes. we get to site. Yeah. Um, I think that gets overlooked a lot. So for me, that's a big reason why quotes can vary a lot. Like that that alone might change a quote by 10 or 20%. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're getting that one-man band compared to a guy that's got an office and some admin staff and some supervisors. So I, I always, when we're quoting a job or we get asked to quote a job like, I was trying to explain that to the to the client that your quotes are going to vary a lot just on that alone, and then most builders should our quotes uh, when we quote a job are very detailed, and that's why we feel we can charge a fee to do it. I think it's another thing that people sort of think that they like. We get it all the time. They ring on the phone and they um, they sort of say, "Oh, I want a two hundred square meter house. Or I've got a budget of this much. Um, I've been told it's eleven hundred dollars a square meter." Um, square meterage rates are out the door. Um, I think they mislead people. Mm-hmm. Like to sit down and actually do a, a, a detailed quote, even on a three hundred thousand dollar job, like a builder's going to put forty to sixty hours into that to do it properly. Yeah. So I know I keep saying this, this is one of the big reasons, but there's there's so many reasons in our industry why there's differences in quotes and why you hear all these horror stories in the building industry. So, and then another thing on top of that is, like I was just saying, uh, with the overheads and the running cost of a building business, lots of it's actually quite surprising how many builders don't understand what it is taking to run their business. Mm-hmm. They might sit down and have a quoting software, and, and they might work out the cost to build the house to the to the cent, every single nail, nut, and bolt, and they'll put ten percent and they'll put ten fifteen uh, percent on it not knowing that it's taking somewhere in the middle of that 10 to 15% to actually run their business. Yeah. And so they're always chasing their tail. Yeah. So, yeah, there's, that's a that's a big question and there's a lot of different answers to that. But 
Like when the owner gets the quote back, like they, they should be getting a lot of detail. Like we feel we can charge for a quote because our average quote is sort of 15 to 20 pages long. Okay, yeah. I think that's, you know, it's really interesting because I know that square metre rates are sort of very useful at that very early stage to kind of benchmark a project really, aren't they? So for somebody who's just got no idea about how much it's going to cost them to build or renovate their home and they haven't even sort of really started the design process and they've got this figure in mind of how much they want to spend and this idea in mind of how much they want that to kind of pay for, to be able to go, okay, well, square metre rate currently for that type and style and finish of home is roughly this amount, you know. So then it's kind of whether you hit the go button at that point or whether you have to rejig either your budget or your brief to get those better in alignment with each other. So, and I know too, you know, we had Sean Lockyer on um, early in the season and he talked about, you know, he's collected data from you know, years and years of projects where they can actually use that square metre rate as an informed point to tell somebody, or well, you know, very clearly what their project will build based on other work that they've done. So, but yeah, I think that at the point that you're actually asking a builder to quote your project rather than just throw an estimate at it, I'm, I'm, to be honest, I'm quite surprised that more builders don't charge for that work because I find that if you do pay for it, you get a much better you actually, it actually means they'll be sending it out to their subcontractors. Their subcontractors yep. will be pricing it properly. They'll um, they'll actually do a takeoff of the materials and products and fixtures and finishes rather than just throwing kind of a ballpark figure at it. And so you do get much more reliable information at that point. How much do you charge to do that? Uh, look, our, our minimum fee is 1800 plus GST. And it, yep. our fee changes depending on the size, scope of work, and, and obviously the finishes and, and level of detail we're going to have to put into the quote. Which is understandable, if isn't we, it? Um, like we quote a couple of million dollar home, like it's it's definitely not uncommon for us to spend a couple hundred hours putting a quote together. Yeah. And uh, we do exactly what you just said. Like we don't just meet a client, get a brief, go sit down, spend two hours scribbling some figures down and go back to them. Like, we go back to the office, we do a scope of work for every trade, all that gets sent out to our trades and suppliers, we get fixed quotes back for everything. So when you get a quote off us, that is a quote. Yeah. Um, the only things that change in our jobs are obviously client variations if they want to request changes after work's been done um, or a latent condition if it's in the ground. So really? latent condition something that you couldn't have possibly known about when you provided the quote that yeah, then unforeseen. becomes... Yeah. Yeah, normally to do with rock or something buried in the ground, weather. But we do a very similar thing to Sean. So we've gone back through our jobs for the last 10 years. And so I think where people go wrong with the meterage rate is they go to like a display village and the, the salesperson will say, we build houses for this much. and then But they don't understand what they're getting for that. We've done the same as Sean. We've gone back through all of our past jobs and we sit people down and, and we can show them pictures of houses and we say, look, if that's the sort of style and the level of finish you're going to want, it's going to be roughly this much at the, at the design stage. Mm. And that's definitely a good starting point. And then obviously, as you know, like you start the design process and people get excited and they start adding things. And <laughs> it's, um, so another thing we do uh, with charging for the quote is we become involved. So a really big thing for me is I think you need to create a team. And that's another reason we got out of the tendering process because nine times out of ten, you were putting tenders into jobs that you hadn't even met the client and you might have won the job and not, like, you might not have even been able to work with that person, might not have been compatible. So so we have we generally have one to two meetings with the client. We get a good feel for if we can work together. We're very open and honest. We explain everything to them. 
And a lot of times after that second meeting, they're wanting my bank details to pay me for that quote before I've even started doing anything. Like yeah. Once you actually educate them on what's involved and what they're going to get for their money, most people jump it. And, and it's surprising the amount of people that say to us, I can't believe, look, I can't believe you would do all that work for free. And mm-hmm. um, I think the industry is very old fashioned and it's just the way that it, like builders and traders have driven around with their trucks and trailers for last 50 years with these big free quotes written all over there um like we've sort of done it to ourselves but there's there's a lot of time and a lot of effort to uh, produce a quality quote and if if you want to avoid problems during the process then you really need that detail up front you don't want something the figure just thrown on something and then get charged variations through the job yeah and it's i think it sort of sits in two camps doesn't it it's sort of like you either get a quote that has just had very little time spent on it to kind of get it across a table and to a client or you get a quote that has been done for free but had a lot of time spent on it but that cost to do that work has been built somewhere else into your process that you don't really transparently understand um, and are paying for in some way, shape or form anyway. Yeah, so. I think I think definitely most builders would be working it in there somewhere but look for that fee um, and like I was saying, so we created, we, we're very keen to create teamwork now so... Um, we've been doing this process for nearly two years now, and, it's, and we've gone from quoting... In terms of charging for your quotes? <clears throat> is yeah. that what you mean? Yep. But we're only a small business. We, we've gone from just working our butt off. Like every spare minute we had, it was quoting. And I don't know, maybe quoting 60, 80 jobs a year. Now we're probably only quoting uh, maybe 20 to 30 jobs a year, but we're winning 28 of those jobs. Yeah. So for that fee, and that fee varies depending on the job, but we either put them in touch with a designer or an architect. Um, we're going down the path now of design construct. Um, we found a really good design that we're going to work in with, but for that fee, I go to the meeting. So I think architects and designers are That's fantastic. That's an incredibly collaborative process, isn't it, then, to have you involved through that design process, yeah. Yeah, so I don't go to all the meetings. Mm. I, I generally go to the first brief with the designer or architect and then as I'm needed. So we're now finding that architects and designers are inviting me to those meetings and we're getting the projects to the client's budget because through that design process, like I was saying, like people start designing things, they get excited, the architect suggests something, they suggest something and before they know it, that initial design has added hundreds of thousands of dollars on but no one's discussed cost. And then when it gets sent out to the builder, the builder's a bad one because he's come back with this cost that's hundreds of thousand dollars over the budget. So, look, we're definitely finding by being involved, when those things do come up, the architect suggests something or the client says, look, we've, we wouldn't mind adding this in, then we can say, oh, look, that's going to add 10 grand or if we do it this way, it'll cost five grand. Or So we're having that constant, um, I guess, budget management, uh, management yeah. through the right from the beginning. Yeah. Um, and the other big thing we're finding with that, and it's probably where we're winning a lot of people paying us for our quotes, is over the last 10 years, we would find, we'd get sent plans from a tender scenario, they'd come back, they're all over budget, um, the architect designer would have to make changes which the, which the client would have to pay for, they'd get sent back out again, they would they would liaise with us on how they could save money, and so... They were, they were actually spending more money to get the design down to a budget, but they were losing time. Like the architect, designer, builder, the client, everyone was losing time. And like sometimes 
Like we had a couple of jobs that blew out to like 12, 18 months of wasted time. Whereas if we had been able to be involved in that team environment right from the beginning, the jobs would have been finished. Yeah, that's great advice, actually. And, you know, I, uh, I think that, you know, right throughout this podcast series, this idea of teamwork, collaboration, getting all the people that you need together to be coordinating their work, to be providing input is so critical to making the whole thing go as efficiently and as simply as possible. And I know that, you know, I encourage people to, if even if they're not getting a builder on board right at the beginning, that they're very much getting those those that costing information at various steps throughout the point so they can always adapt and change rather than have that kind of whole, oh my gosh, this is over budget, we've got to start right back at the beginning thing happen. So yeah. I think when you can see that, that, it is, you know, renovating or building is all of these moving parts that come together. The sooner you can bring those moving parts together at the beginning to inform the whole process as a collaboration. And I find too, I can imagine then that by the time you start on site, the client has an incredibly trusting relationship with you. You've also built a relationship with the designer and have also taken the design intent on board that then enables you to make decisions on site in keeping with the design intent and and you've got a really great line of communication with the client as well because you've put all of that groundwork into place together as a team. So I can imagine that would make site a really enjoyable place to be in terms of things going smoothly. So Yeah, look, it definitely it, it helps the entire process. So, yeah, like you say, by the time we get to site, like it's – so we're actually um, our, our clients become friends. Like you, you, um, you build a good relationship, and the the biggest thing is there's this misconception that builders make so much money. And I think if if clients can get that out of their head and get them involved in a team environment, so like I think everyone needs to interview half a dozen builders because it, like trust is the biggest thing. Find a builder that you come to working with. Do the same thing with with the architect have a meeting, see if you can all work together and then, um, yeah, and then go for it. And like, let the process flow. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, that's great advice. And then if, like, if you can find a builder that you can trust and is open with you, like we're, we're all, if, if a client does want to see all our costs and we're happy to sit down and go through cost by cost, it's, um, it's not very common, but it's, um, once you get that trust that your builder's not, and the other big thing is people need to, um, Give a real budget, an honest budget. <laughs> yeah. We, we, <laughs> I had somebody um, else say this as well, yeah. We find that uh, people are very hesitant to give a budget because they feel that they'll get it built for a certain amount and the builder's just going to bulk his price up to get to that figure. Yeah, it's like um, you say, okay, I've got that much to spend regardless of what it's going to cost. They've told me their budget's yeah. this, so it'll just cost that. Yeah, yeah. and it's, it's completely wrong. Look, When you find the right builder, it's completely wrong. Yeah, so you've you've got to do your homework first, haven't you, to find the right builder. Yeah, Yeah. and look, most builders are good, honest blokes. Like, we we work hard and they, um, like, obviously, we do the wrong thing by some, like, it takes builders a long time to build their reputation up and it can take one job to ruin it. So, builders aren't out there to bulk their prices up and rip people off, like, and um, I think it's surprising. The people that get involved in this team work, it's such a good process, and and in, it's really enjoyable. Like we, we got clients that go to lunch, and like it, it's good. It's a team effort. Yeah, I think that's been a really consistent thing throughout this season of the podcast is professionals talking about the fact that the process should be enjoyable. It's not without stress and it's not without some kind of, you know, I suppose some challenges along the way, 
but it can be enjoyable. It doesn't have to be disaster-filled and this kind of you know, one-way <laughs> trip to hell. Yeah. And that it, you can actually come out having created friendships with these professionals who have basically shepherded you through this process of creating this dream that you've had about a new home or a renovation and extension that's going to be your family home. So, And it's, it's an incredible thing to be part of when it goes really well and, you know, and, um, and that it's, it's actually... I, I really encourage homeowners to come to look for that and expect it and ask professionals kind of to rise to that because that's how we kind of we improve yeah. the industry overall, that this does exist and these relationships can be created and there are professionals that work in this way yeah. and that they do their homework to find these professionals and keep keep knocking on doors until they do because they exist and yeah. slowly the whole industry will improve overall. Yeah, look at- so. I think there's definitely some architects and designers out there that are very hesitant getting the builder involved for the, for the same reason. They think they're going to bulk their price up. But look, it's definitely a successful process. And like you just said, if if we can all work together, like not just the builder and the client, but the architects, designers, the engineers, like if, if we all start to work in that team sort of scenario, like yeah, it lifts the whole uh, experience for everybody. Everyone gets a better name. So... Dwayne, we've talked about, you know, that quoting process and that idea of sort of the level of detail that you, you know, you can expect to see because I know sometimes builders will just give one line and say, this is what this will cost, you know, it's blah, 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 XGST, and there's no sort of background information to it. Other times you will get a a series of almost like a table that's got line items, preliminaries, you know, running through the different trades and they'll have either items, money tree amounts next to them and then a total or they might not have monetary items and then they just have a total at the end. You also have things like provisional sums, PC items and then this sort of this terminology that people are quite unfamiliar with about what a provisional sum might mean or what a PC item might mean and then running to the issue that they go ahead with um, that builder and start getting charge variations and that type of thing. Can you just talk a bit about that quote, looking at those specific things and what can go wrong when you choose a builder that hasn't really sort of taken you through that process with a level of education about what those sums might mean and what that, that might sort of bring on in the build or renovation of your home? Yeah, provisional sums and prime costs are one that we, like even the people that are paying us to do quotes now, we still get the odd one that's still getting another one and and that's fine, like that keeps us honest, it gives them something to compare to. So what Um, is a provisional sum and what is a prime cost? So they're items that, normally they're items that the the, uh, client has to personally choose. So the builder doesn't know the homeowner's taste, so it might might be your tapware, your tiles, it's items that are going to finish their home and... um, and obviously, yeah, the builder doesn't know their taste, so he puts a figure in. But in saying that, the builder should get a feel for the quality of home they want, and those sums should be realistic. And the other thing is, the builder should be able to actually provide a quote for those items. So even though they might be in there as a provisional sum or a prime cost, there still should be a quote attached to that. So the prime cost might cover things like toilets and tapware and, you know, appliances and things like that. The provisional sum might cover like the electrician's work or the plumber's work or that type of thing. Is that what, you know, how those two sort of things get? Yeah. So one's um, items only, the other one's item plus installation. So like joinery would normally be um, a provisional sum because obviously until your client goes and sits down, unless they're really well-documented drawings and it lists every finish, 
we we always get smashed on that in our quotes. Um, over the years, we've always found if the client will either let us look at the other quotes or let us go and have a meeting and sit down, that's normally where the difference is. So when you mean smashed, do you mean that other builders have come in with cheaper amounts against those items? Yeah, so yeah. not just to do with prime costs and visual sums, but so other, other just quickly, other things that might be in there might be things that are unknown. So um, it might be an acreage block with a septic system that needs to have some soil testing and stuff done. So some sh- allowances should only be put on things that um, need more information. Um, but the other, th- I think the other big mistake is people assume that everything that's shown on the plans is in the quote, <laughs> and it, it it's not. Like yeah. in, in ours, it is because yeah. we we go to great lengths. But I think people try and skimp on the design sometimes and on the actual drawings that they present and hand over for quoting as well yeah and then that leads to disaster because they they might not pay enough for the architect or the designer um, because they might think that they know how their bathroom is going to look or they know how their kitchen is going to look but that doesn't help the builder when he's trying to put a cost on it and then when the quote comes back there's nothing to reference it to Unless the builder makes reference to meetings he's had or, the, or it's been referenced in emails, so the homeowner just assumes that it wasn't shown in the plan, but we spoke to the builder about it, so he's allowed it. Yeah, and there'll be this line item for like, you know, $20,000 for joinery, and it's actually more like $50,000 because of the kitchen design that they want or the vanity design that they want, and, and that's yeah. not been obviously documented anywhere. And then that comes through as a variation during the actual build, doesn't it? So Yeah. We had a, a perfect example the other day. Um, we were getting told by a client that we were $90,000 dearer than two, two other quotes. And so they, they we went and had a meeting. They, actually, they sat down in front of me with all three quotes. And by the time we actually changed the provisional sum and prime costs in the other two quotes to the amounts that we had, and ours were actually, we'd sent them out and we'd actually had quotes back for the joinery, the tiling, labour, like every, all those items. There was about 21 items. The, both those quotes went up. One went up by 110000 one went up by 130000 So they actually became dearer than us. Yes. So that, I always say to people, wow. like, yeah, you have to, those, the structure of the job is what it is. Mm. Like most builders' labour is the same cost. Like buying power is very similar these days like most builders are all getting very very similar pricing the difference in the quotes is normally those allowance items and it's not uncommon to get a builder throw a 20 grand figure at a kitchen knowing that when he actually gets a quote it's going to be 50 secures the job then gets the client to sit down with the joiner and say okay tell the joiner what you want yeah and then it ends up yeah it's fifty thousand dollars and says okay well that's going to be a variation here you need to pay it so yeah Yeah, and i i I actually think build, there's a lot of builds out there that do that mm-hmm. because most of the contracts are favoured towards the builder mm-hmm. and um, a builder can actually make more money by doing that. Like if, if a builder is putting his 10, 15% margins on, like most contracts, if the builder doesn't actually change it, the industry standard's 20. In terms of the margin that gets charged at the point of a variation? Yeah, so yep. the margin gets added on the difference. So okay. if he's got $20,000 in, they then spend fifty, then he makes 20% on, that on 30, the 30000 30, right. So um, Are you able to change that percentage if, of can, the variation to match their normal margin? Is that something that you can do in terms of changing the contract? Look, you, you can negotiate um, with builders, but 
Like 20... You just want to order the, avoid the variations in the first place, don't you, really? Yeah, so, well, yeah. you should. Um, but the other thing uh, people, I, don't, I think a lot of people miss, so one thing we're doing with our Build Your Knowledge and our Rules of Games with uh, builders is people have to understand the contract. And I can't believe it, but like uh, building a home or a renovation, like it's, it's the most money people spend. Mm. And they're either going to be paying it off for the rest of their life or they've saved their whole life to pay for it. They're mm. dealing with a huge amount of money and yet they won't take the time, read the clauses in the contract, sit down with the builder and go through it all before they start. Like there's so many clauses in the contract that help the owners as well. So items that are prime cost, provisional sums, or if there is variations, you shouldn't have to. Like the builder should be giving you honest costs and honest variations, but there's clauses in the contract that state that the builder must be able to provide you a quote so he can't just say that that variation or we had six thousand for plumbing fixtures you've now spent nine and you just pay the nine like you're more than able to ask him well look show me the quote for that so but look the 20 percent margin is is pretty standard Mm -hmm. um some builders will bump that up to 30 but like I said, if, if a builder's running a good profitable business and actually understands his overhead, then that 20 is probably only just covering all the other costs as gotcha. well as him trying to make some money. But yeah, clients need to not be afraid to ask for things. And that's that's where it all comes back to clear communication and trust and honesty. So. Yeah. And I think that point about contracts is really is really valid as well because, you know, I often think that because it is so much money and you never actually really see it. It just looks like dollars on a, you know, zeros on a bank statement really. And it it magically transfers from one account in the ether <laughs> to another account. Yeah. You know, I often encourage people to picture it as a suitcase of cash sitting in front of you and that you're physically handing it over to the builder because I think that would mentally help you then realise you've actually got to interview them to see whether they're worthy for that to be handed that suitcase of cash. So, um, but yeah, that, that level of understanding that it, that contract not only obligates you at uh, the builder to do certain things, it also obligates you as a homeowner. It gives you as certain rights, but it also gives you certain responsibilities in the way that you need to make payments, deal with communication, give instructions, you know, all of those kinds of things. And it doesn't take a lot to send a project awry when you haven't followed due process on what is an actual legal document, really, is it? I mean, it, yeah. yeah. Look, the sessions I do with builders, I call them rules of the game. And my reason for that is I don't think building a house is any different to a game of football. <laughs> if you go out for a game of football and one team doesn't know the rules, it's going to be a horrible game, isn't it? Mm. So I think building's the exact same scenario. And that's why we spend a lot of time educating people. And the funny with these sessions that I did um, last year and we continue to do, it's unbelievable the amount of builders out there that will complain about bad clients and the client did this, client did that, he ripped me off. If they'd actually understood their contract, they could have managed that client and made the process enjoyable. But there's, it's funny because on the, the very front page of the three or four most used building contracts, there's a there's a box that actually says in the back of this contract these the following clauses will cause this contract to rise and fall and it points out depending on the contract anywhere from like 10 to 15 clauses that are in the back of the contract mm-hmm. if you actually go through and read those clauses it, it's clear as day like and not just the builder the client as well like mm-hmm. um so that's one thing we do at our contract signing with our clients like when we sign a contract with a client, it, it, 
can take two to three hours because we don't just do the front part. We actually go through every clause in the back and explain to them, if this happens, we can do this. If this happens, you can do this. So That's fantastic. I think that's, yeah, I think that's a really great learning for people to take about what should happen in terms of signing that legal document to work with their builder, that it actually should be a really involved process where they feel incredibly informed yeah. and educated as to what they're signing themselves up for yeah. in that process. Yeah, because it can go the other way. You, you can get a, con- a uh, builder that might know that contract front to back and he's underquoted your job because he knows that as soon as you he'll sign that dotted line, yeah. he'll just keep charging. Yep, yep. Okay, Dwayne. So uh, this has just been so informative. And uh, I think, you know, one thing that I think often happens for people who are building or renovating their home is that they will call the builder first. You know, they'll look for a builder rather than look for a designer. Some people do um, think about getting the designer first. um, But more often than not, I think um, a lot of people will look for the builder first and then understand whether the builder can help them find the designer. If you get a phone call from, you know, a potential client and they're saying, can you come around and have a look at our house? I think the challenge is that often clients will then just start mining you for information about what's it going to cost, what can we do, what's possible. Instead, you know, I really encourage people to remember they're actually interviewing this person as a potential professional to help them bring their dreams to life. How do you recommend people really prepare for that meeting to get the most out of it and then what they should kind of expect to happen you know, sort of immediately sort of following up that meeting um, for that process to go well? Look, I think after that, or at that first meeting, you've you've definitely got to, like you say, interview them and make sure it's someone you're comfortable to work with because, uh, like I said before, you, you're going to spend a lot of time together. Um, so you really need to be comfortable. Um, you need to make sure the communication is going to be well and that, like we said before, the bill's not hesitating on any of the questions you're asking or trying to avoid certain questions. From that initial meeting, you, you should definitely get a um, good feel for if the builder understands your brief um, and isn't trying to push you. You don't want to work with a builder that doesn't agree with your ideas or doesn't understand the design you're after. Like At the end of the day, it, it's your dream. You're the one spending the money. So, yeah, so you, you should get a feel for if the, the builder has a good um, idea of what you're trying to achieve, um, under- is going to understand your family and the and the way you want to live in the home and probably get a clear understanding of your budget. Like if, don't be afraid to talk to your builder about your budget and make sure your your budget is everything. Like if you, because um, you're going to have professional fees, certifiers, engineers, designers, architects, council fees. So uh, make sure you're given a clear budget. Land- if you want landscaping, pool, fencing, you don't want to tell him a figure and then he's thinking that that figure's only for the house. For the and, construction and, cost, yeah. And getting yep. your hopes up and then <laughs> you, you start working with him and then yep. you get these drawings back that have nothing on it except a, a house. So, yes. Um, yeah, that is a big challenge, yep. And so once they've obviously then come to that meeting, that you, you've got a good feel, you feel like you're, you know, that you've got along well, that they understand your vision and they've said to you, look, yeah, we think that the budget that you, you know, want is about right, you know, what What should you do then? Is that a case then of sort of chatting to that builder about how do you handle the design, pro- like if you haven't had drawings done already, how do you handle the design process? Do you then just kind of mentally bank that builder and say, I'm going to go and find my own architect and then, you know, this builder's great, but I'm going to go and use this. Like how, if you've started with the builder, how do you then sort of recommend that process kind of continues? Look, every builder is going to be different. 
Um, like I said, we're, we're traveling down the design construct process. So we've got designers and architects that we work with. Most builders are going to have done a lot of work for a certain designer or architect. So they'll have one, two or three sort of that they can send you out to. If the builder does just sort of plot along and work on designs that come from his clients and um, just go out and do the same thing you've done with the builder to the architects and designers and then once you've found one that you're happy to work with then again sit down and get that team environment going. Yeah that's fantastic advice and I suppose lastly it's do you have any tips for homeowners about how to, you know, that working relationship of the builder throughout their project? And as you say, you do spend a lot of time together. You're having very um, personal conversations, not only because you're creating their family home, um, but you're also talking about their finances. You know, often I know often where my um, clients are actually getting their money from to pay for the building project. You know, it's um, I know where my clients keep their underwear. Like it's <laughs> it is, it's a really it's when you're working in that team kind of partnership of working with a client to create that renovation or building project, you do get to know them at a very intimate level and you get trusted with a lot of information. How how do you recommend people really make sure that that relationship goes goes smoothly, that it works proactively, that it you know keeps ticking along the way that it needs to so that they actually end up with what they dreamed of, paid for, you know, and the result that they're expecting? Yeah, look, I think if that, if that team environment can continue through the job, so... Um, look, once the project does start, there's different things that come into play. Um, and one thing that we find, and again, I think it's just the way the industry's gone, is builders don't seem to get treated like a business. So every other business has starting hours, finishing hours, and look, it's very clear. But for some reason, builders always seem, like clients think, especially nowadays with smartphones and things, that they can be texting and email at all hours of the night and expect an answer the next morning. So... Um, one thing we do once the project is ready to start is we do a client agreement and uh, it's it's about nine or ten points long and we just sit down with them and just say, look, this is just common courtesy. Because um, another thing that the, I think the clients sometimes take a little bit of advantage of and it's, I think, purely because they don't understand the, the um, legalities of it is you get your clients wanting to come to the site all the time and come on the weekend, show their family, show their friends and... I don't think they understand the liability that the builders have having them on site and um, it's quite a common one. Like we, You try and enforce that they can't be on site, they need to organise a meeting and with you, yourself or your supervisor and you um, you might happen to drive past the job on the weekend you see them there with 20 of their family members. So I think that trust and commitment has to continue. Like you've got to, if the builder's telling you to do something, then you've got to follow what he's uh, wanting you to do. And and um, again, a builder's no different than any other business. Like we start and we finish. We're, we're not contactable 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And I think if you, a client and the builder can treat each other with that um, respect, then it, it should be a great and enjoyable experience. Yeah, and I think your point about that thing of, of understanding about how and when you can access site. That's something that I talk about in terms of, you know, that once once the builder takes over your project to commence construction, it is now the builder's site and it's no longer your home. And it's up to the builder to determine who gets to walk in and off site. And it's one thing I actually warn those that attend my workshops and do my online course that I've seen builders shut 
owners out of sight um, when things have gone pear-shaped. So you actually establishing expectations up front with your builder about when can you come on site, creating some system and structure around it, weekly site meetings, tracking that progress, and actually having a hotspot for communication that isn't about, oh, we were on site on the weekend. I'm, I'm just going to text you some things that I saw um, <laughs> that, you know, can you just take care of those things? Because that's where stuff yeah. really falls through the gaps. And you have no recourse to um, to actually show that you've asked for those things. But text message doesn't really, you know, like I think in that having some rigor and discipline that hopefully the builder will, you know, I encourage people to actually ask the builder early, what what methods do you have in place for us to have regular communication? Can we have weekly yeah. site meetings? Can we have weekly walkarounds? I can be here on site every Monday morning from 7.30 a.m. or my designer will be or somebody who's representing the, the client um, so that there is a place and a time for that communication to occur. And then the builder can actually just get on with their work for the rest yeah. of the week and not be yeah. interrupted. And you can anticipate those questions and decisions and things that you need information on proactively rather than it being this kind of helter-skelter process throughout. So The clients coming on site willy-nilly is, is a big one. And, and renovation, it's very hard. A lot of renovations are living on site. But it definitely creates problems. Like a lot of people will bring things up before they've let you finish. And it'll be exactly what they want once you've finished it, but they see it half done or partway through and then they start asking all these questions. They think it's not going to be right. Like, or speaking directly to your tradespeople <clears throat> without you there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. then before you know it, they've spoken to a trade and our trades are pretty good. Like they, they know if anything wants is going to happen, they need to call or talk to a supervisor first. But that's sort of one that it, you have to keep on to the clients about that. Like it doesn't seem to matter how much you educate them on why they shouldn't be talking to um, to people. And, and with that talking to uh, to trades, it's suppliers as well. Like um, in the old days before we were educating people, it wasn't uncommon to get a client to go to one of your suppliers and change an order after you'd signed off on the order and then nice. you're getting invoices for more than what they've signed off on. And so it's... That education thing, that, that's right through the whole, everybody in the team, suppliers, trades, supervisors, office staff. But yeah, it's very important to set the ground rules. Like you, you have your team work what, through your design stage and then it, it's really important that when it does come time to start building, you have another official meeting and you, um, you, you basically set the ground rules for how the job needs to flow. And the jobs flow so much better and quicker if the clients just follow those rules, if they if and I guess any good builder should be having week like weekly meetings, like once or twice, and uh, depending on the stages of the job, but certain stages you might have to be there every couple of days, and, and depending on the scope of the job as well. But a good builder should be having walkthrough, regular walkthroughs with you. We definitely encourage it with our clients. One of the reasons for that is we, we definitely find people don't visualise things. Yes. And if you can um, have your regular walkthroughs, a lot of the time... If there is something that they couldn't quite visualise and they see it coming together differently to what they thought, you can actually catch it before it does become a big yeah, variation. Before the entire thing gets lined and tiled and yeah. Yeah, it costs a lot more to reverse. Yeah. yeah. No, that's that's just brilliant, Dwayne. I think that's a great note to finish on in terms of just that picture that you've given the UA community about that whole process and how how it should look, you know, when the builder is the right person for your project, um, is someone you can trust, has demonstrated experience, you've done all your homework and checked all of the licences, they're running their business like an astute business person as much as a builder and that they're guiding you and 
educating and informing you through that process in a really generous and trusting way, I think is um, is just brilliant. So thank you so much for your time, Dwayne. And uh, I've shared in the intro, and I'll also pop in the show notes. You do do seminars for people in for builders in the building industry, and uh, and also for homeowners. So, but. By all means, everybody check out Dwayne's Facebook page because uh, it's just great. Honestly, it's just um, it's fantastic to see these videos being shared. And whilst you work in Queensland, a lot of what you share is applicable nationwide. Yeah. Um, and it's just about good building practice. So thank you so much for your time and for being here, Dwayne. I really appreciate it. No worries. Thanks very much for having me. Cheers. Homeowners get really nervous about the process of finding a builder to work with and choosing the right one for them. So I sincerely hope that you found this episode really helpful in understanding how to get this right for your project. If you'd like to learn more about Dwayne Pierce and D Pierce Constructions, make sure you head to the show notes because I'll have links to his website and their social pages as well so that you can get in touch. You can check out some of the videos that are on Facebook and learn some of the tips and tricks that Dwayne regularly shares. Now that's it for season four of the Get It Right podcast, Know Your Team. I want to say a huge thank you to all of the guests that we've had on this season who have given their time so generously to share their knowledge and advice with you about their roles and how they perform them and their tips and tricks for you as well. Now, there are so many different people who can help you along the journey of building or renovating your home. And so it's no wonder that it's a source of confusion for many who are trying to tackle their project. Too often I see people not understanding who they need, what they need them for, why they need them at all, and when they need to call on them. And so I hope this season of the Undercover Architect podcast has really helped clear this up for you. Now, believe it or not, we are not far off from Chrissy. Where is this year going, hey? So join me next time as I introduce you to what's coming up. Until then. Now, before I finish, remember that our season four podcast partner is the fantastic Colourbond Steel and their mat range. Too often I see homeowners choose materials without thinking of the long-term maintenance. They're, you know, not only whether they'll actually last as long as they want their home to, but what they'll have to do to take care of them over the years that they live there. Look, the last thing that you want to do when, you know, when you invest in a home that's all about relaxation is then spend every weekend staring at all the jobs that you need to be doing to keep the place looking great. And one of the reasons that I love Colourbond Steel is because it's such a durable, strong, long-lasting and easy to maintain material and the mat range is no exception to this. Now how good does that sound that it's easy to maintain? Look you just need to hose it down every so often and I've had clients that have chosen this material specifically for this reason because they just don't want to spend their weekends painting. Now I want to say a huge thank you to Colourbond Steel for partnering with me to bring you season four. I have loved sharing more information with you about how great this Colourbond Steel product and matte range is as a choice for your renovation or new home project and I hope that you've come to learn that there's a lot more to Colourbond Steel as a great looking and performing material and that you can create so many different and fantastic looks and designs with this great product. So make sure, if you haven't already, that you check out the matte range and you see just how gorgeous this finish is. It's been so exciting to bring this matte range to you and to help inspire you for the different ways that you can use the matte range and Colourbond Steel products in your project. 
Now, I kid you not when I say that I've used Colourbond Steel for over 20 years. It's a long time, isn't it? I don't feel that old. But, you know, whether you're building or renovating a home for the short term or it's your forever family home, consider that. Consider that choice in your choice of materials and products. Colourbond Steel and its matte range is a fantastic option. So head to www.colourbond.com forward slash undercover architect for more info. And so that's C-O-L-O-R-B-O-N-D, www.colourbond.com forward slash undercover architect. I really encourage you to head there, request samples, get design inspiration for your project and see all of the wonderful ways that you can use Colourbond Steel and their matte range for your renovation or building project. Thank you for tuning in to the Get It Right podcast with Undercover Architect. Now, if you head to the Undercover Architect website, you'll see loads more helpful information on how to get it right when designing, building or renovating your home simply and with confidence. Not only can you see all the podcast episodes there, there's also a wealth of written blogs and videos too covering all sorts of topics. And there's other ways as well that Undercover Architect can give you more support and guidance for your project. Now, if you've enjoyed listening to the podcast, please subscribe so that you always get notified of new episodes as soon as they go live. And I'd love it too if you could please leave a review. (laughs) I know that iTunes doesn't make it easy to leave a review, but when you do, this is super helpful in spreading the word that this podcast exists to others who really need to hear it to get help with planning their future homes. This has been Amelia Lee from Undercover Architect. Thank you for listening and for letting me be your secret ally. Looking forward to next time. Bye.